0: By sports Interaction, sports Sportsbook. Welcome to Game Over Montreal. Let's start it out like we did a lot last year. It's another Montreal Canadiens loss. We'll do a throwback because it felt like a Dominic Ducharme coached game out there today. The worst performance of the season for the Montreal Canadiens by far from the outset. I mean, obviously two goals when the ice is still shiny. The team wasn't focused. Uh, the goalie wasn't focused. I, thought, I think this is probably Jake Allen's worst game of the year. But uh, it wasn't all on Jake Allen. The entire team was pretty much terrible. And even in the first period, where it seemed like they took control for a bit, that was mostly due to having the power plays. So Montreal Canadiens really were lucky that the score was as close as it was. Uh, Those six power plays, yeah, the the Sabres got themselves in trouble. I don't think it was necessarily the Canadiens forcing them into things. This was a a full-on stinker. It was not great. But with that said, this show is here for you to get your catharsis. So we're going to yell about this game a little bit. We'll probably not yell. I've got two kids asleep. But we're going to talk about this game and, uh, you know, look at the few tiny little positives if we can. And then we'll talk about prospects to cleanse your palate a little bit and look forward to, you know, tomorrow when (laughs) maybe they'll play a little bit better to a couple seasons from now when maybe this team is a little bit better and games like this aren't something that you have to fear, at least uh, not very often. Uh, I have a great guest with me tonight, it's uh, Mitch Brown, but before, before we get to that we have to say, uh, I think you know the way it's going to go I, think, I thought it was going to be a loss tonight because I saw Craig Anderson was starting and it seems like anytime Craig Anderson is starting against the Canadians it's a loss, but he wasn't really the difference tonight, let's be honest. Make your bet with sports interaction. Whether it's World Cup, hockey, football, or basketball, sports interaction has you covered. Bet pre-game live in play or on one of our many prop bets. Sports Interaction makes it easy to deposit, play, and cash out. Join now and see all that sports betting has to offer. Want to bet? Head to sportsinteraction.com slash SDPN. That's sports slash SDPN 19 plus. Please play responsibly. And as always, If you or one of your loved ones or anybody that you know has issues with gambling addiction, there are resources in the description of this video or in the podcast description if you're listening to it the next morning to help you find your way out. All right, I am going to welcome my guest in today. It's a fan favorite, one of the smartest people in the game, Mitch Brown. How you doing, Mitch? Oh, hold on one sec, Mitch. I think you're muted. I'm just going to fix that. It's having to do all these Zooms with different people. So before we get too far into it and I screw up uh, a whole segment, there we go. Now you should have levels and you should be able to talk.
1: I'm bored. There this, we go. This game was just boring. It was just boring. And it was good very for Tage Thompson for putting on a show in a little bit. Good for Jeff Skinner. Uh, JJ Paterka had some really fun moments in that game. Notice that I'm not really mentioning any Montreal Canadiens. <laughs> it was a. It was a pretty boring game.
0: Yeah, it was not great. Uh, one team was very hungry. You could tell they lost eight straight, but it was uh, it was an ugly performance for the Montreal Canadiens. Even, like, you could scrape out and say, oh, you know, Cole Caulfield scored, and he maintained his 50-goal pace, but the goal he scored was, you know, it was just a, a weak goal. I mean, good on him for taking the shot, but I don't know, that's not really, like, the snipe job cole caulfield goal that you want to see right it was just a a chance shot from the point
1: it was a pretty cool shot though like he had mm-hmm. a little crossover setup adjusting to it like that's the type of goal you would expect to see caulfield get every now and then i thought it was pretty fun but how about how about as soon as the very first Sabres goal was really just a sign of things to come right because because Darlene gets ahead of both Coffield and Suzuki, neither of them make an effort. And then it's a four on three going the other way. And then Tage Thompson does the whole being way better than everyone else thing sets up, sets up him with a drop pass goes in the back of the net. And that was kind of just the way the rest of the game went, you know, the second goal, I think it was Gouley who ended up turning the puck over. It wasn't really his fault. They just, he didn't have any support, but then he chased up high. And then there was like a two on one in front of the Canadians net. And then Allen also didn't do a great job. And then the 3 nothing goal, it was Savard who loses a stick in the corner. And then him and Devorak combined to become the rare own man double screen in <laughs> front of Jake Allen in the shooting lane. So it was just one of those games where everything just kind of goes wrong. Any any minor mistake gets amplified because it goes instantaneously into the back of
0: the net. Yeah, it was, it was not fun. I mean, I'm sure Savers fans had fun. Right, I know. Uh, Kay in the chat was saying for a game with seven goals, it wasn't even exciting. I w- I'm assuming that it was a lot more exciting for Sabres fans, but for for from the Montreal Canadiens' perspective, there was not a light to, a lot to write home about tonight. I'm assuming that based on the turnaround to ter- tomorrow in Columbus, they pay they basically take this game and throw it in the trash for now and try to go right back out there and and give a better effort because. Like, there's too much garbage to go through on film to be able to turn that around in one day. These are NHLers, right?
1: All of, They all know what went wrong in this game. They all know their mistakes, everything like that. This isn't a massive systematic failure by any stretch of the imagination. It's a bunch of little things that went into the back of the net and then, in general, a lack of focus. You know, they get paid big money to be focused and... You know, it'll, they'll, they'll bounce back in a way that probably won't lead to them being a 500 team, but they'll have good games, they'll have bad games, they'll get blown out on occasion, and Cole Caulfield and Nick Suzuki will blow out other teams single-handedly every now and then down the stretch. It, not every game's going to be fun, and that's just the way that it works when you're a team that has a talent deficit and is trying to play a style that is more suited for today's high-pace, high-offense
0: NHL. Yeah, a hundred percent. And I know that people were kind of down on uh, some of the defensemen tonight. Uh, uh, I saw Jordan Harris really getting it in in the comments uh, on Twitter there. But uh, man, I don't. I find it difficult to pick out any single person <laughs> to be honest, because I I think everybody really struggled. Uh, maybe not. I mean, even Sean Monahan. I feel like he had some moments where he wasn't paying attention to the defensive zone like there's nobody really on the on the roster tonight that I looked at and said, "Hey, this guy had a great performance." It's unfortunate because you want to bring like for this kind of show, what I know from last year is you've got to bring something to the table to get people <laughs> happy <laughs> because you can't you can't just hammer them all the time. It's not fun. And at the end of the day what we're here to do is ha- to have fun, to learn a little bit. And uh, at the end of the day, feel a little bit better before our head hits the pillow. But there was not a lot in this game that uh, stood out in a positive way. I will say, I think I'm done with the Matheson-Edmondson pairing. I don't know why <clears throat> Excuse me. Uh, St. Louis stuck with that for a second night. I feel like he's trying to give everybody space to... To get their feet under them, like the guys that are coming back from being out or or struggling to produce guys like that, Dodonov. But the Edmondson Matheson thing, like Edmondson is so like he's struggling so much with focus and like mental mistakes, and then you put him with Matheson, who's still coming back from like eight weeks off, it just doesn't make much sense. And Matheson I thought looked better tonight, but there was one play where I think it was like the end of the first period where he just full-on forgot to skate back into the into the defensive zone and allowed the Sabres to beat out a, a very easy-to-beat-out icing. And then they had the puck for, like, 90 seconds, just dominant. <laughs> and it's stuff that like is- that.
1: That's Mike Matheson though. That's what he does when he's healthy and he's been a for months. That's Mike Matheson. He's the bringer of chaos. He is the guy <laughs> who gets dangled around in spectacular fashion. Like he did in the second period in this game. And then also dangles around someone in spectacular fashion. He activates off the point, does cool things and then makes the most brain dead play that you have ever seen from a defenseman making that much money and playing that many minutes. That's his game. He, and it's, it's amazing. And it's, it's super fun to watch. And like, from like a scouting and an analyst perspective, it's, it's, it's awesome. Like that's, you like those kind of players because they make the job more entertaining. Um, but yeah, that's what he does. He's always been like that. And you go back, you watch him in college. That was his game to a T. Some things never change. He's shored up a lot of little elements, but you know, you, you thrive with Matheson and you die with Matheson. That's how it goes when he's on the team.
0: It the He had one shift in the third period. I think that really sums up his game. I so far and it is on the power play and i think he made the mistake at the point like he tried to shoot and it kind of went off a shin exited the zone and tage thompson went on like a, a a one-on-one break but he stuck with him skated really well took the puck away and then started to rush the other way made this like really dangerous looking zone entry and then just held on too long and thompson came back took the puck from him and then got like a breakaway the other way And you're like Come on, like there's more players on the ice, you guys. You don't have to just keep between the two of you, but uh, Matheson is uh, is wild. Canadians fans obviously haven't seen him that much so far. So I, I guess we don't really know what to expect from him overall, but uh, yeah, he doesn't look, there was a comment here from, from, I think it was Kay, saying that he doesn't look ready for first pairing minutes yet. I don't think anybody on this team is ready <laughs> for first pairing minutes. <laughs> like, that's kind of the issue.
1: I like Okay, shout out to Caden Gooley. I thought he had a pretty reasonably good game in spurts. There was a couple plays in the first period where he got inside position on the guy, won the battle, and then instead of throwing the puck off the glass and out, he took the second to look to the middle and then started a clean breakout. He also nearly killed a Buffalo Sabre, which was the classic Caden Gooley thing. And we also continue to see Kaden Gooey really grow offensively. Like, even in a game like this, he's passing down low and then sprinting straight down the middle to get the puck back in the offensive end. Like, you were watching him develop and add new plays to his game while he's playing huge minutes against top competition in the NHL as a rookie. Like, that he's able to do this is so, so impressive to me, especially given all the narratives that were around him when he was drafted oh, they're just picking him because he's big and he hits and... You know, it was never really true, but it's so cool to see his development just occur at like warp speed in the NHL in this role on a team like this.
0: Yeah, it it, it is fun seeing him add like the mean streak that he's known for the last few games here. He's been a lot more physical trying to get guys. And I, I do think his the penalty that he took was not a penalty to me. It, it didn't seem late that hit at the blue line there. I, th- I thought he lined up the guy pretty well. Uh, whereas I know that uh, Dave Poulin was saying that the Edmondson penalty in the third period wasn't a penalty, but I think that was pretty clear interference. Honestly,
1: yeah, it was. It was. Uh, it was pretty blatant. The Gouli one, I think, like I would call that but you also have to remember like my perspective is junior hockey and like right. that's kind of the hockey that I'm watching all the time and in the WHL they wouldn't normally call it but in the OHL you could get a couple games for that because you can't do any head contacting and can't hit someone when they're not looking at the play so yeah i don't i don't know i like i it was a minor penalty i thought and I also thought, you know, if Gooley really wanted to just annihilate the guy, he probably could have stepped into him more. Yeah. And he probably took a little bit off that one just to be certain. And then, of course, the whole scuffle happens. He throws that guy to the ice. Like, um, yeah, he, you know, it's Caden it's Gooley. This is what he does. He took a little while to get comfortable handling the puck before he decided he was going to start being the murderer that he was known as in the WHL. So full credit to him.
0: Yeah, trying to navigate to who you can bully and who you can't bully and, and when are the times that you can unleash that big hit and still stay in position. He's definitely one of the guys who continues to make progress, right? I think that uh, Harris has had a little bit more of a rough stretch the last week or two where I don't know if I would have scratched him as St. As Louis did just because the other option, I feel like Jacques has actually struggled more. And I definitely wouldn't be pulling Kovacevic out of the lineup right now. I feel like he's been probably their second best defenseman overall this season. So I understand that there's like he uh, the coaching staff has spoken to the young defenseman and told them like there's going to be a rotation here. And, you know, you're going to get in games, but you're also going to miss games. And they all seem to be okay with it. I feel like uh, Ghouli is not part of that group, though. <laughs> I feel like he, even though he's the youngest one, he's not going to be rotated out. But uh, I would like to see Harris and Kovacevic stay in the lineup as much as possible down the stretch. And I know it's probably not the best strategy for keeping the value high for you know trade deadline, but I feel like you could load manage Edmondson and Savard a little bit because they're the ones who are, seem to be making the biggest mistakes. And Savard is valiant of a job as he's done this year being the best David Savard that he can be at his age. Uh, you know, we talked before about the value that he brings in a purely defensive perspective that maybe isn't captured by, you know, public models where, you know, he just gets that little bit of body or stick in front of a shot that puts things off to an edge or, or uh, like, his defensive positioning is just really good in certain situations, but two to three times a game... David Savard is amazing at turning a nothing play into a something play for the opposing team. And that is just not great.
1: He, he has major uh, grenade handling sometimes like he, and and him and Gouly kind of exchange it back and forth. Gouly be like, Oh, I don't like this. I'm just going to throw it to Savard. And then Savard's like, man, I, you know, I I can't do this. And then Savard (laughs) just like hucks it straight to the other team. Um, it's an interesting dynamic between those two. It seems like, um, it's is it is it unreasonable to say that Ghooley is, for better or worse, the team's number one defenseman? Like Yeah. He's the guy who does everything. Yeah. Competently, like more competently than anyone else does at this stage. You know, it doesn't always show up statistically, but I think in terms of like just pure competency in all areas of the game, he might be the best of their big minute players right now.
0: Yeah, I mean that's I think when you look at what he's capable of doing and the arc of his career, there's no one that's going to pass him in that respect. Like I would assume that this year <clears throat> on a like per game basis, Matheson will probably get more minutes just based on how uh, St. Louis is relying on him already. And uh seems to be getting on the power play already. Uh, but overall, like Gouley is very much destined to be the first pairing guy that they you know, Hopefully they can find somebody who fits in there with him that would take it to from like a decent first pairing to a good first pairing, but uh, he's in that slot, right? Like we can say, you're trying to fill slots and you're doing a rebuild, right? And you've got like the Suzuki Caulfield slots, and you don't know if the dock is going to fit into the center slot or the wing slot, looking like wing right now, but Ghoulie is certainly locked in on that first pair for now it would it would be quite the feat i think for him to be unseated
1: yeah and there's a lot of defensive help incoming with the montreal canadians and we're going to see a lot more experimentation over the next couple of years to kind of see where everyone fits who fits together and you know there's a certain small defenseman who seems to be a pretty good fit with kate and gooley in the next few years lane hudson and him would it seemed that they would have
0: some good chemistry a good meshing of styles perhaps That's a great point, Mitch. And that'll lead into the positive side of talking about the Montreal (laughs) Canadiens right now. We're going to ignore this game for the rest of the show. We've talked about it enough. It doesn't deserve to be talked about it anymore. But before we get into the prospects, I have to tell everyone here, uh, thanks for being here on a game like tonight. I know that it's just looking at how the numbers work for this show and for other shows. For the Maple Leafs, when they lose, numbers through the roof. Everybody wants to come together and yell. But after last season, I think, It has a lot to do with last season and all that losing when the Canadians lose. We don't have as many people in here. People don't want to talk about losses. They want to talk about wins. They want to talk about things going well. So we'll talk about the prospects. But before we do, remember, if you're here and you like the show, hit the like button because it helps us out. We've been getting killed by the YouTube algorithm lately. For whatever reason, it doesn't want to show game over stuff all around people who are fans of these teams. So help us out. Drop a like. And if you really like the show, hit that share button on YouTube and share it to your favorite social media, your social media of choice. Get everybody that you know to come in and hang out with us because how could it be any better? More people. It's more fun. can read the chat. Have some fun. All right. So now that we've got that out of the way and the shameless self-promotion, let's talk about some prospects. Lane Hudson, um, I don't remember if it was you I talked to before, Mitch. But uh, Hudson and Gouley are both lefties, right? So who would you have move over if they were to be paired together?
1: Well, the natural one would be Hudson is more skilled with the puck, so you would put him on the other side. But then you remember Gouley skating, his defensive skating, his instincts. So it might work with Gouley on the other side as well. And on top of that, you know, there's a lot of natural... Flexibility there with the way the Montreal Canadiens play the game now. It's not as simple as left guy stays on the left side of the ice the entire time, right guy stays on the right side. There's a lot of crisscrossing, moving back and forth, a lot of activation, and so defensemen aren't always coming back into their natural sides. And of course, when you have someone like Adam Nicholas and the rest of the player development staff. They're going to find ways to make players more effective in every position of the ice. The defenders are going to get better at playing the half wall, you know, uh, just by the skills that he's teaching them. And it's going to be the same for anyone in any position. They're moving towards positionalist hockey. And so I think that's going to be less of an emphasis by the time Lane Hudson gets to the NHL.
0: And I know uh, like Lane Hudson has, you know, that ridiculous offensive instinct and transition ability like the skill is off the charts but there are some issues that he needs to work on to get to the NHL right like I've heard obviously I don't have the chance to watch him game in and game out I don't want to like my main thing is I want it whenever I talk about prospects I defer to somebody who actually knows what they're talking about I never want to present myself as an expert because it'd be dishonest but i have talking to other people they say that he has some issues with pivoting do you see any progress with that this year so let's i I think i want to tie that into like a broader
1: discussion of his skating because i don't think the pivoting itself is a massive issue or i don't think it's something that specifically you need to target to fix it lane hudson right now is not i guess an nhl skater can he get there and will it and will he need to get there are the two questions i think and the first thing is yes he absolutely can get there he's like what 155 pounds like he's going to add weight he's going to get stronger that's going to make his stance deeper more powerful he's going to get more explosive and the strides always going to be a little weird it's always going to be a little wonky to watch but that's partly body composition you look at the nhl there are so many different strides that have success in the nhl a lot of it just comes down to being strong and explosive and then these players can make it work like Trevor egress stride looks ugly doesn't have any issue finding space in the NHL whatsoever. So I think as you get stronger, his depth is going to improve. He's going to become even more elusive. The pivots will improve. The stride will improve. He's going to get faster. Now, how long that takes, I don't know. I mean, that's why I'm a dude who's sitting on a computer here talking to you <laughs> instead of, you know, actually telling Lane Hudson how to improve his skating. Now, <laughs> and then the other part of it is, does he need to have skating as a massive advantage or whatever to play in the NHL? And I don't think he does. He's very deceptive, oftentimes through like more subtle ways than you see from, say, Nick Suzuki. Nick Suzuki likes to do that thing where he slows up, he freezes everyone with a really long, drawn-out fake, and then he makes that laser beam precision pass to Cole Caulfield. We've seen him do it a million times. Lane Hudson is more like quick weight shift one way, quick weight shift another way, like turning his body in a million different directions at once. He's overloading defenders with so much diff- different information. And so he will be able to play in the NHL without being, you know, so-called super explosive or having that dynamic speed or whatever. I don't think that's going to be a huge challenge for him. Now Hudson, of course, does like say the skating is more mechanical and then you have to start trying to address like specific skating areas and defensively it's messy. I think breakouts are still messy. They've really improved. Mind you, he's more patient now, but Um, his skating doesn't always have his skating, I guess, doesn't find the same level of separation without the puck than it does with the puck, because with the puck, he's able to create those advantages without it. He's his actions are a response to what his opponents are doing. And so as a smaller defenseman, you have to take control of what your opponents are doing. Adam Fox is really good at this. He gets on the player as soon as possible. He, he drives them to the middle. You know, it's the early gap control. He gets all those stops at the red line. Lane Hudson doesn't do that yet. And so that's going to be, for me, Lane Hudson, it's it's going to be natural skating growth, and it's going to be finding ways that he can better use his current assets to make the NHL, playing that tighter gap, playing a game that's more focused on changing pace on breakouts and stuff like that. And of course, just letting him eat offensively, letting him run free, letting him do his thing. Because he doesn't rely on set patterns or set plays like a lot of players do. He's just endlessly creative. And that in itself is like such an innate advantage. We saw it in this game. Like, look at Rasmus Stalin in this game. He had such a huge advantage over everyone because he's so innately creative. Look at uh, Nick Suzuki. He has huge advantages over other players in the NHL because he can just come up with solutions to things that other players would like never even conceive of, that they don't have they wouldn't even be able to think of in the moment, but let alone have to let alone have the ability to react to it. So Hudson is going to be one of the most fascinating development projects. I think we've seen in hockey and like, I'm very optimistic about his NHL future. Now Washington, like, there's i track a lot of data and i've tracked a lot of games on him and like he's doing stuff that right now is a playmaker that only four other defensemen have done in college in the last few years adam fox quinn hughes are five i guess scott prunovich sean barons and Kale mccarr like these are all like these are all guys guys like these are real players sean barons is more of a prospect same with prunovich but both of those players could make the nhl and be top four options so yeah, I mean, I think people should be really excited about Lane Hutson and the potential that he has going forward. It just might take a little bit longer than we're used to seeing from guys who um, get top
0: prospect hype.
1: Sorry, yeah, that was a really long answer, but no. I just, I just love this stuff.
0: <laughs> but it's a good answer, though. You have like, there's questions here asking uh, like, what is it about his skating? And I feel like you answered that. Um, Obviously, casing. I really, 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 really hope he works out. I think everybody in the Montreal <laughs> Canadiens, both staff and fan base, really, really hope that he works out because he's the kind of guy that, if he works out, it's a home run, right? Yeah. Lane Hudson's not going to make the NHL and be like a twenty point defenseman. <laughs> it's it's going to be a completely different thing than what we've seen before. And I know I I don't remember if it was you who pointed it out, bitch, on on Twitter, but he's. Doing this over a point per game production in the NCA right now on the second wave power play, like he's not actually eh. getting the primo minutes.
1: Well, you could argue that BU's second power play unit is better than their first, oh, like, okay, forwards well, it's, wise, and like the difference in terms of how much they're going out there is only like twenty seconds per game or whatever. Okay. So like, like it's not a it's not a pronounced difference.
0: And he, he leads sense.
1: the team right now by like 40 seconds or something in even strength ice time as well. So like, well, he's listed on the second pairing. Like he's essentially for all intents and purposes playing top pairing minutes.
0: Well, I, I think that's good to know uh, as an 18-year-old in the NCAA. I feel like it's pretty rare for a young defenseman who's you know, not that big to get first pairing minutes essentially at even strength on a college team. And I feel like yeah. the college schedule is probably the best thing for him, right? Where he has these uh, like little issues that he needs to work on with his skating. He needs to like build up a little bit of NHL size. It seems like this is the perfect situation for him, where the Canadians can afford to slow roll him a little.
1: Absolutely, give him. You know, he has the weeks, the week, the weekdays to train, weekends to get in games, and then of course you have what is largely a much shorter season. So there's going to be more time for him to go over video with the development staff during the week before and after his games. He's going to have more energy throughout the summer to get into his training and so on. So yeah, it's a perfect fit for him. The college route is always a great route. And for him, it's no different. Now, now it sounds like I'm, now it sounds like I'm trying to sell people on NCAA (laughs) hockey.
0: Well, I mean, there's good fits for different players, right? I think that's the, the big takeaway from development paths is like not everybody needs the same path. Some people need extra time in the weight room and and more time between games, a more scholastic approach. And I know, speaking of scholastic, we're going to have to talk about uh, Owen Beck. But <laughs> uh, Rock in the chat is saying that uh, Joshua, five point night tonight, he had a little bit of a, not a skid, but like just based on his own level of production last year and early this year he wasn't producing as much for a couple weeks there but uh all of a sudden insane levels of production from joshua Waugh. how is he progressing this season it seems like he's putting more emphasis on playmaking
1: he's about the same player as he was last year but yes he's definitely trying to pass more i don't think that's a like Last year, he was a dump and chase player who then once his team secures possession, he really comes alive. And this season, he's trying to make more controlled plays, usually through his teammates rather than dumping it himself and getting it. And then in the offensive zone, you see him using the threat of a shot a little bit more uh, to open up a little bit of space. But I don't think he's taken like a massive step mechanically or physically or decision making wise like. His production is incredible and there are a lot of really interesting qualities about him. Again, he's this puck retriever, shooter, playmaker, hybrid that you don't really see a ton of. Um, so I don't know if the production uh, aligns with what his ultimate NHL upside is going to be. I think he's probably more of like a third line type score and just the mechanics mean that there's a chance he might not make it to that rate. But Again, like Lane Hudson, he's another player who is just so fascinating to watch, right? Because you see these point totals and you're like, he must be just electrifying. And then you watch him and you're like, he dumped the puck in 15 times in one game. <laughs> like, <laughs> <laughs> so it, it, he's, he's a really cool player in a lot of different ways. And I think um, this season, especially with like having Ethan Gauthier on his line, who's a top prospect for the 2023 NHL draft and Justin Gill, it's they're kind of forcing him to be more of a distributor because they have more shooting skill than he's used to playing with. So ideally you could trade him to a team in the OHL or the WHL, but I think the I think he's making enough progress given his current
0: situation. So have you seen I know we talked last year about like his his big issue that I I think was uh like transitioning to pro hockey was because he was able to score from basically doing whatever he wanted, that he yeah. was a li- not lazy, lazy is the wrong term, but he was satisfied with what he could do to just rip up the queue and at times like didn't use his teammates very well. Are you seeing improvement in that area? Are you seeing like a little bit of diversification in his offense or not quite yet?
1: A tiny little bit. A tiny little bit for the reasons that I laid out. And just for context here, like scoring in junior and scoring the NHL are two very different things. If you have, say, a slightly above average, like shot by NHL standards, you can just stand from the top of the circle in junior and score 30 goals. Like it's nothing. And uh, one an area where you, where generally the average OHLer shoots or the average CHLer shoots 6%, guys like Waugh can shoot 18%, 20% from there. And they won't be able to do that in the NHL. So for guys like Waugh, it's really important to be able to take a puck from the boards or take a puck from where you would normally shoot and get that extra meter or two closer to the inside, whether you're passing to a teammate who then shoots or bringing it in yourself. And I haven't seen that yet from specifically the creating more space and opportunity for his shot, which is something that Owen Beck has gotten a lot better at. Um, But I have seen a little bit more playmaking from him, which I think again, it's not as significant as I would have liked to see this year, but it is enough that I don't think we can say that he's stagnating.
0: Right. Right. And I feel like he's another one that the gaudy junior numbers, a lot of people expect, like actually, you know what? I feel like the fan base is generally relatively reasonable about Joshua Watt, probably because he's not like a a first-round draft pick. But despite the gaudy numbers, he's not a guy who's going to jump out of junior straight into the NHL next year. He's a guy who's probably going to spend a couple or even three seasons in the American Hockey League after this one to get his game to a place where he's a good NHL player. And that's fine like people can be okay with that like that that's what makes sense for him developmentally
1: yeah and that would be a great outcome if he makes the nhl he was a late rounder he still has many qualities that don't suggest a great nhl or anytime soon and then he's going to go into a situation where development seems to be going really great he's going to go to a team that can hopefully recapture some of their magic uh that they had last year and you know i think I think it should work out for him. It just might be a little bit more drawn out. And to go back to that, Montreal Canadiens fans are actually like, like way above average in terms of like their expectations for prospects and the type of information oh, sure. they want to hear about prospects. You know, you sometimes you tweet stuff out and people are like, Oh, but he's like five foot eight. That's like, yeah. So I don't care that he's like five foot eight. I don't I, I, like, why does this matter? Why does this matter that much? And Montreal Canadiens fans are like very interested into like the, sort of the little things that they do that separate junior players from NHLers. And I think that's why it makes having discussions about players like Joshua Law so engaging.
0: Absolutely. Now, speaking of the little plays that separate guys, let's talk about Owen Beck, because one of the smartest players at his age, especially, that I've ever seen, and I've only seen him a handful of times, he seems to be having... A fantastic breakout year in the ohl after having like he was he had okay numbers last year but nothing that jumped off the page and you wanted to see him put up really strong offensive numbers along with his like incredible face-offs and defensive skills and you know like all around the ice except for ne- necessarily translating directly to goals this year it's translating directly to goals uh how, how have you seen owen back this year
1: Well, I mean he's own back. He's phenomenal. Like everything (laughs) this guy does is amazing. He's every single shift, he has a play. When you watch the when when I go from watching a junior hockey game to watching an NHL game, the biggest difference is that in junior games, most players have a few shifts where they do something interesting. Like Connor McDavid, I just watched a bunch of his draft year tape. Three to five shifts a game. They were just absurd compared to everyone else's, right? Because it's Connor McDavid. And that's how the vast majority of players work. Owen Beck is way more detail oriented than, than we're used to seeing from junior players. And so every single shift has something, has a really good read down low to get open, has a really good way that he wins a battle, seals off back pressure, starts the breakout, has a really good play where he creates an advantage for his teammate by drawing pressure and then passing through it. And something that I alluded to earlier is his shot. He's He, he always had an NHL shot. Like This is something that people have been talking about with Beck going back to, uh, going back to his triple uh, a years but he's much better at creating space for a shot now he had a goal against barry that was a great example and a goal fairly recently recently where he steps into the shooting lane, the defender reaches in and then he kind of pump fakes goes around and then shoots around them in the nhl getting space for your shot is at a premium it's not just because it's you know, defenders, close space, but it's also goalies. Goalies are hard to beat. You need to fake them out. You need to move the puck around before you shoot. So then they don't know where it's coming from. And Owen Beck is really starting to figure that out. And what makes Beck, what makes Beck even more impressive is that like, he's taken another step defensively. He still doesn't have particularly high quality of line mates. If Beck had high quality of line mates, the man would have scored 80 points last year and he still doesn't. And he's almost, I think he has 14 goals in 17 games. And this yep. is a guy who was a playmaker. So it's extremely it's extremely exciting to watch him. And then you just consider the context around what he's doing. It's very impressive. He's always been an intelligent player, but you see him starting to weed out the untranslatable plays, the stuff that he won't be able to do in the NHL. And like, you watch me like, this guy is an NHLer in junior. And it is amazing to watch. It's truly one of the most enjoyable experiences in the entirety of the CHL right now.
0: And that's like the kind of thing that I think Canadians fans get so excited about a player like this, because it almost like, I know it's not can't miss because if you're a can't miss prospect, you're really like a top five pick. And even then there's, there's still bus, but because Beck is so detail oriented and so good at so many things, it just seems like no matter what he turns into, there's an NHL, there NHL are there in some role. Right? And like exactly. The, the floor is extremely high. And maybe the, the ceiling isn't extremely high. Like you're not talking about a future first line center in the NHL, perhaps, but it's not super low either. Like he he's that rare pick where you know you see often NHL teams go for like in outside of the first round, like the high floor, low ceiling guys, where he's like high floor, medium ceiling, if that makes sense.
1: Well, even even then, like we continue to see new layers to his game all the time, like as I was just talking about creating space for his own shot and you add in the playmaking skill and you add in the development staff that the Montreal Canadiens have. I, I just watched. Sorry, I keep bringing that up and I just watched that video of Adam Nicholas and I was like, man, Same. I want to go on the ice right now. <laughs> I want to do that thing that Pateri Nurmi did. I'm gonna have. I'm gonna. I'm gonna. I don't drink coffee. I'm gonna drink some coffee and just have that plane in the background of oh, what a weapon. (laughs) Um, (laughs) But I, I really, you know, I think Beck is improving at such a rate that it's probably like it's not fair to put a cap on his ceiling at this point. I think probability wise, he's still probably a mid-six guy. But I don't think it's fair to turn around and be like, oh, you know, he's he's never gonna play top line. It's like man, first off, if I could do that, I'd be making a lot of money in this industry. <laughs> <laughs> but second thing is at the rate he's improving, you know, I don't want to, I don't want to be the guy who's going out here saying uh, you, that, oh, and Beck's going to use his motivation to prove wrong, right, to prove wrong, you know? So yeah, I think I've, I really like his development and I think he's like, you know, if he doesn't make the NHL in some capacity, I will be, I'll just quit that's just, i'll go i'll go back to being a line cook
0: <laughs> all scouting becomes bullshit and nothing yeah. matters the points don't matter everything's made up yeah yeah it would be absolutely wild at this rate just to see like how much he's progressed how quickly like how many facets his game has it it is incredible uh watching back play now obviously uh the idea of, of Beck joining the team next year is like very enticing for people who just want to see him up close. But would would you say because of how long he stuck around in training camp this year and how like his rate of uh, improvement is so severe, uh, severe is the wrong word, but the good kind of severe, uh, yeah. there is a chance of him actually pushing his way into the lineup next year. Cause I'm assuming that, <clears throat> sorry, Sean Monahan will probably be gone uh, and, you know, Christian Dvorak maybe as well. So there's going to be a spots up the middle.
1: Yeah, I think there's I think there's a, a real chance that he makes it or at least gets a lengthy look. Um, of course, making the NHL first doesn't guarantee a future. I mean, I just look at back at Blake Spears, who had a bit of a similar profile, you know, well-rounded, detail-oriented player, made the NHL in his D plus two, and then never really became a full-time NHLer in any significance after that. And Beck is more skilled than Blake Spears. And of course, there are other factors. It's not as simple as a player just busting for the sake of busting. There are so many things that go on off and on nice that dictate this. Coaches make decisions that impact players' careers forever and so on. But um, yeah, Beck is uh, is pretty clearly, uh, to me, a confident NHL projection and a guy who as soon as next year could be in the NHL and not get cratered, whether he'll be good or not remains to be seen. But don't think he'll get killed if he's playing a
0: fourth line role or whatever. Yeah, hundred percent. All right, uh, last guy that we're gonna bug you about, uh, Philip Misar, who came into the NHL and took everything over by storm, or not OHL, OHL. Sorry, I think I said NHL there. Uh, crazy hot start, changed things a lot for. For his team but it's slowed down a little bit <clears throat> is there anything to worry about with philip misar or is this just you know sometimes things don't go your way
1: well the only thing you have to worry about is an in inflated expectations right people think that any guy who plays professional hockey in europe is going to come in and destroy it's like oscar ulison playing in the shl he was below a point per game philip luce uh, philip playing the shl it was 1.17 points per game uh which is the same as Massar is right now so it is not a guarantee that pro experience leads to scoring and i think that sending him to Kitchener was the right call. There are a lot of things that he needs to get better at. Going to the OHL is a great place to do it. It's not just that he you know, has the tools to destroy the O because he doesn't have the tools. You can have all the tools and you still won't be able to destroy the O. You need to know how to use them. You need to know how to get to the inside, how to create advantages with your skill set. And for Mashara, that's still a learning process. And I think Kitchener, where there's a good top end on the team. They play a competitive schedule against great teams. And of course they have a great facility and their rink has fantastic food. If I must say both media room and, and on the concourse too. Fantastic. But it's a great environment for him to be in. I I really think, and it's the right place. Of course, his production was never going to be, what was it at? Like 3.5 points per game or whatever. He was never going to do that. But I think right around what he's doing now is probably what we're going to see the rest of the way. Around 1.2 points per game to close up the season, hit maybe 80, 85, and 60 games, 65 games, 68 games, bring it into the playoffs, and that'll be considered a win. And then we can turn then he can turn pro next year, get into the development system a little bit more in Laval and presumably continue his upward ascent.
0: All right, great. I mean I think he looked so electrifying in moments during the preseason that people expected him to be, you know, two points per game in the OHL, but it's very difficult to maintain a base like that. Even if you played pro hockey before that, uh, I I think people underestimate how, like, it's a grind just like any season, right? Except for you're sitting on a bus between games instead of flying in a a chartered plane like in the NHL. All right, before I let you go, Mitch, I'm going to ask you uh, Just quickly, I know that we didn't discuss them beforehand, but just a couple Canadians' prospects that nobody really seems to be talking about in junior, sure. but are still putting up decent numbers. Who of these three do you think has the best chance of becoming an NHLer between Riley Kidney, Jared Davidson, who nobody ever really talks about, but has 23 points in 13 games for the Seattle Thunderbirds, and Vinzez Rohrer? Oh, roar! Easy, yeah, yeah.
1: E- easy one. Davidson is old, and the tools aren't super great. Uh, Riley Kidney tools aren't super great. Has some decision making issues. He's kind of similar to Wall in the sense that he, you know he win he creates and scores through doing stuff that isn't necessarily going to work in the nhl benzen's roar is like 165 pounds of pure violence he's gotten better at getting to the inside his playmaking has taken a big step and defensively he's just a monster and there's nothing better than watching this like 5'11 165 pound guy like reverse hit some six foot two monster into the corner like it's nothing yeah this guy this guy's great he's gonna play he's gonna be awesome to
0: watch so I, from that I'm guessing that uh, Roar is going to be a fan favorite right away when the fans get to see him a little bit up close.
1: Oh man, the next time the 67s are on national television he's going to be a fan favorite. <laughs> he plays the most he plays one of the most fan-friendly styles you've ever seen. And on top of that like the skill has taken a big step up this year and like I don't know he's not going to be a play driver in the NHL. I don't think that's going to happen. Who knows maybe, but I don't think that's likely. I think more likely he's a good solid fourth liner who brings the violence, brings a bit of fun, brings some flashiness and doesn't get killed, uh, you know, on the underlines because he knows how to play defense and he knows how to keep the
0: puck up his own end. Awesome. All right. I hope everyone who's tuned in tonight has something positive from this talk (laughs) that helps them sleep a little bit better. Cause I know it can get emotional watching your team lose seven to two to a team that just lost eight straight, (laughs) but somebody had to lose to the Buffalo Sabres eventually. And it was the Montreal Canadiens, so they're back at it tomorrow night against the Columbus Blue Jackets. They're going to try to avenge what they did to Sam Montembeau in the last game. You know, dominating that game against the Blue Jackets, but giving up the most ridiculous scoring chances possible, which seems to be what this Canadiens team kind of likes to do when when they're at their best. They dominate territorially and then just give up the most crazy scoring chances two-on-ones, 2 on nuns, you know, giveaways to the front of the net, all that kind of stuff. So it's hard on the goalies, but uh, hopefully they win one for Monty after giving him the tough sled last time around. Uh, thanks, everybody, for tuning in. Thanks, Mitch, for coming on with me here. And uh, obviously we'll be right back at it tomorrow night. Before we close it out, Mitch, tell everybody where they can find your work.
1: You can head to EPRinkside.com, get a subscription there. Black Friday's coming up. We're going to have a big sale. And you can follow me on Twitter at Mitchell Brown. And then go to our YouTube page. I just published a 16-minute video on how Kel McCarr became the NHL's most dynamic defenseman. I went all the way back to the AJHL. And Davis St. Louis got cool videos breaking down the non-Bedard prospects of the 2023 draft that you might want to check out if you're feeling like you need a little bit of hope.
0: <laughs> there you go. All right, everybody, follow Mitch Brown. And if you really like him, Go support his work on his Patreon as well. There will be a link in the description here. He does great work. Work that you can't find anywhere else. Thanks for tuning in. It was fun chatting with you all tonight. And uh, hopefully we get to talk about a win tomorrow. We'll see you then.